you're probably wondering, Pastor Bob, we've never heard of Haggai before. What is that book about? Every now and then we take an opportunity to explore the ancient books of the Old Testament, and Haggai is one of the prophets whom God called to speak to God's people after the Babylonian exile, a little over 500 years before Christ. And so if you have your Bibles with, with you today, I'll prompt you, and you can follow along as I read through portions of chapter 1. The words will also be on the screens as we go through them. But I'd like to uh, make sure you have your Bibles ready for when we get to that part of our message. But for now, would you bow your heads with me? May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I was preparing for this week, we're talking about putting first things first about looking at our priorities and doing some self-examination. And I remember hearing the the story told about the number 86,400. So I did some research and I found that story. And the question is, how could the number 86,400 change your or my life? The answer to What is 86,400 is it's the number of seconds that you and I have in a single day. Seconds. Days are for dreamers. Hours are for dry cleaners. Minutes are for telemarketers. But seconds, they are for those who pursue life so passionately that every second counts. So if I were to ask you, if you had only 86,400 seconds to live, what would you do? What would I do? And the thought is pretty startling. What would I do? How could my life change in terms of thinking about it instead of, uh, in seconds instead of days or years? It sounds like a big number, but it quickly gets small when you think about all of the things that we do every day that take seconds out of the day. For example, if we get a full eight hours of sleep, which some of you may have last night with the extra hour, that's 28,800 less seconds to complete your day. Or maybe your commute is a half hour, so if you double that there and back to work, that's another 3,600 seconds off of your day. And perhaps you're eating three meals a day, and Adding that up, that subtracts another 5,400 seconds from your day. And if you're working an eight-hour day, well, that's another 28,800 seconds. So if you add all of those basic things up, that's 66,600 seconds off of the total. And we have to use the rest to do all the other stuff. So what is next? How do we spend those other seconds? We spend 180 seconds often looking at the mirror, criticizing ourselves. We take another 240 seconds to wait for our chance to complain to someone who didn't fix our coffee just right. And then as you're on your way to work, on my way to work, we spend the next 900 seconds fuming about the person who just cut you off. 
And then there's that dispute with your spouse that takes another 7,200 seconds. So we've spent 8,250 seconds on negative things that don't make us a bit happier or our life a bit better. But think about the opposite. It takes less than 10 seconds to encourage someone with a smile. Right, choir? Doesn't Philip always want the choir to smile? Just 10 seconds. Only 30 seconds to say a word of encouragement to someone to brighten their day. A phone call to someone who needs a good word of encouragement, only 300 seconds. Your pet, who is always faithful and waiting for you to come home and spend time with them, only 2,000 seconds for that day to feel valued and loved. Exercise, just 1,200 seconds, or exercising our mind, 1,500 seconds off the day, or spending some time with God in Bible reading and prayer, 1,800 seconds. How can we better use the seconds that we have to make our lives in this world a better place? This is not a guilt trip message. We all have priorities. We all have demands placed on our time. And a lot of us have things that speak for our time. But how can we use the time that we do have to make a difference? Often living wisely such as this is not necessarily between the bad and the good, but between the good and what is best. This is the lesson that Haggai teaches us. It's amazing how God's Word, this ancient Word, is so relevant to us in modern society today. The book of Haggai is the shortest, it's the second shortest book in the Old Testament. It was written to people who, like us, would have told you that God is first, or should be first. They believe that. We believe that. But we'll see that they had drifted and that the supremacy of God was not reflected in the way that they were living. God was no longer first. They had other priorities. And God sent His prophet Haggai to help the people get back on the proverbial track, to put their priorities in order. Haggai was the first prophet to speak on God's behalf after the return of the people from Babylonian exile. The historical setting is found recorded in the early chapters of the book of Ezra in the Old Testament. You can look at that for yourself, chapter 5 and following. You'll recall that the Babylonians had destroyed Judah and its capital, Jerusalem, and had desecrated the temple. And they had taken God's people captive and enslaved them, and, were, and they worked in Babylonian labor camps for decades. A small remnant of Jews remained back in Jerusalem, and they were poor, some of them trying to carve out a living in farming, but the land was over-farmed over and not much good at all. And in 539 B.C., the Persians, led by King Cyrus, defeated the Babylonians. And the Jews were then given religious freedom by the new Persian king, King Cyrus. He made it possible for them to return to their homeland. Now, he had an agenda. He wanted to appease the people, and perhaps giving them religious freedom was one way to do that. But they took advantage of the opportunity to have 
freedom of religion finally to go back to their homeland and resume their culture and their community. Pretty soon, though, the people began to work on the temple that had been destroyed, and they started to work on its foundation. But despair and discouragement set in, and they gave up. The Samaritans, their neighbors, whom they did not get along so well, even offered to help. But the Jewish people refused their help. They wanted to do it themselves, and the Samaritans went on their way and actually um, didn't do them much good in the eyes of the Persians. So the work came to a complete halt on the reconstruction process. And some years passed, at least 14 years. Darius was now king of Persia. And the people had come uh, into a routine. They had gotten back into some normalcy of life, a new normal, farming, building houses, raising families. And they got used to life without temple. You know, the temple was the center of everything for the Jewish people. And they had gotten away from the temple because its physical presence was not there. And they got on with their lives. Even the leaders did that. Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, the high priest, were doing their own thing. Even the leadership had gotten away from keeping God at the center. And it is in this historical context that God speaks and uses two voices to speak on His behalf. The prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah. They were contemporaries. We're focusing on Haggai for the next several weeks. And we will see how God spoke to His people through this prophet. We don't know where he was from or how old he was or anything, but we know that God used him to speak, and it was recorded when it happened. You'll see that throughout the book. He would speak God's Word to a people who were despairing, who were discouraged, who were sluggish, and who had lost their vision. Sometimes we feel like that, and I believe that God has a word for us through this old book. God would encourage the people to reconstruct the temple and would provide the encouragement and the strength for them to do it. Some people just wanted to survive. Others were content with keeping things the same, and they lacked vision for the future. And to cap it off, the land was in ruin, the economy was in shambles, and the land was stagnant. And it is here Haggai speaks. God's main message is for them to put God's house as their main priority, and to give God the supreme place in their lives. Jesus says it this way, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In the, in the passage you heard Chung Kwan read a little earlier, Jesus is speaking to this young man about getting his priorities in order. So we look back to these ancient words that are just as applicable then uh, today as they were then. Verses 1 through 4. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. So he represented the royal family 
and the government. And to Joshua, the son of Jazadak, the high priest. And he represented the priestly side of things, the religion. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It's time for you yourselves to be living... Uh, let me back up. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? So he's asking them to reflect on their priorities. They have spent all of this time building their houses and their communities and their families and their work and their economy, and they had left God out. God's house was in shambles while their houses were made of paneling. And paneling refers to the fine wood that royalty might have used, wealthy people might have used. So he's helping them to see what has happened. The people had put their own interests and agendas aside ahead of God. And this happens to us too. And just like the people back then, every now and so, every so often, you and I need to pause and do some spiritual reflection. We need to take a spiritual inventory. How are things going? Where are my priorities? How's my prayer life? How's my worship? Where's my giving? And so forth. Because we are all prone to drift. And that's not the car racing kind of drifting, folks. But that's, we're all prone to drift away from the Lord. And Haggai, I'm just going to read verses 5 through 9. Haggai shows us this, this to us. In verse 5, he says, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He says that twice. This is the first time. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. In other words, do some self-examination. Go up to the mountains and bring down the timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You might say, Pastor Bob, where have you drifted? We ask ourselves the question, where have we drifted? What will we do about it? And you can think of the things in your life where your priorities have gotten off track. There may be some of you in the room who have never placed God, made God Savior and Lord of your life, that you've been kind of doing life on your own. And you know about God, but you haven't invited Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. This may be the kind of spiritual examination you need to do. But we've all drifted in some way or another. And what will we do about it? I think one of the things to help is to make the intentional effort to make God's house a priority. God's house back then was the temple in Jerusalem. It was the center of religion, the center of the community, the center of worshiping God. Today, God's house is not a physical building so much as it is God's people. Yes, we worship in 
the sanctuary. We call it God's house. But as Christians, we believe that God's house, the church, is the people, the body of Christ. Corporately and individually, each of us is a member of it. And we must take care of God's house, take care of each other, prioritize the family of God and the mission of the church, and also nurture our cell, our spiritual selves. Paul writes, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How are we taking care of the temple that God has given us? We want to put God first in the church and in our lives. To put God's house first above material prosperity requires intentional, continual intentional effort. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jazadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord. They said yes to God. We will follow what you've said. And they heard the message. It says, They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Twice in this chapter, verse 5 and verse 7, God tells the people to give careful thought to their ways. The The NASB, the New American Standard Bible, says, consider your ways. Eugene Peterson in the message version says, take a hard Take a good hard look at your life. Consider your ways. And answer the question of where we have drifted. And then ask God to help us to put Him first. Some questions we might ask. How are we spending our time? Our 86,400 seconds each day. How are we spending the other resources God's given us? Like our money and our abilities and our spiritual gifts. What are our goals in life? What do we hope to accomplish? And is God first in that arena? What do we think about the most? What occupies our thoughts and minds? Who are the people that we adore and admire? Who are the heroes in our life? Who do we think about the most? Who are our friends? Who influences us? Who do we associate with and hang around with? And how do we spend our free time? These are just some questions as we do this spiritual inventory. And then we loop back and look at the 86,400 seconds. And we ask God, how can we better spend those each day to make the best of each day that we have? If you're a list kind of person, maybe you can list the three most important things in your life this week. The three most important things. And then maybe you'll list the three ways that you spend your time each day. What are the three things that take most of your 86,400 seconds? And then reflect and consider ways to dedicate more time to the things you love and less time to the things that don't matter as much and as we continue to work on our spiritual inventory the last thing I want to say that Haggai reminds us to do is to glorify God and seek to fulfill God's mission in the world you have a purpose every single one of us has a purpose God has created you for a purpose 
And He wants you to serve out of your purpose. He wants you to glorify Him. That God gets the glory for whatever it is that you're able to do in this world. And that part of that purpose is fulfilling the mission that God has given you through His church. In the last part of the chapter, it says this. So the the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of his people. They began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God on the 24th day of the sixth month. God stirred their hearts and caused them to come together to work. God was with them. The temple began to rebuild. In fact, it was rebuilt. And God got the glory. And you'll see later that Zerubbabel although not known to us much, is found in the genealogies of no other than Jesus Christ. And we'll see how all this comes together as we journey through this little book. When we put God's house above our wants and desires, God is pleased, God is glorified, God's work gets done, and God blesses us with a new awareness of His presence. As Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and, all the, and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. As we gather as His house, His people, part of His body, we are reminded of the way in which Jesus gathered with His disciples the night that He was betrayed. And He took bread as a reminder of the sacrifice of His body on the cross. And He broke it and blessed it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat. This is My body given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, Jesus took the wine and blessed it and poured it out and said, this is my blood which is shed for you. This is the new covenant for the remission of your sins and the sins of many. As often as you meet together, take and drink this do in remembrance of me. For often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the death of Christ until he comes. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, thank you for this message from the ancient prophet Haggai. And we're thankful that you can use people who are obscure and unknown like him to bring your powerful word. Now as we enter into this time of communion, may we do some self-examination Offer our confessions to you. Seek your forgiveness. You are faithful and just when we do that and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bless this sacred meal, the bread and the cup, those who serve it and those who receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.